All right, before we begin, I just want to make two quick, and like, uh, I don't want to say announcements. One, I will be making comic book references in this sermon. If you have not seen The Avengers yet, please go see it. All right? I'm going to do some spoilers, maybe. I might, just because... <laughs> I was looking at all these, and there's not a lot of good books on heaven. A lot of books are like, oh, guess what? I'm going to live in my mansion. I'm going to have a bunch of these servants, you know? So today I want to I really stress that I'm not preaching mansion magnified. I still want to preach Christ crucified. So if we, uh, if we can just stay on that like thought and just uh, think about how amazing Christ is. But let's go to the text. We're going to be looking at Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8, and pretty much all of Revelation 21, um, as C.S. Lewis calls it, the new country. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first and the first heaven had passed away, and the sea was no more. Um, I guess before we begin, too, I want to I dive into scripture here and kind of talk about what heaven's like, what Jesus has done to give us his glorious gift, and I, I think a lot of times we don't really realize how truly beautiful heaven is. And so um, J.C. Ryle says, The man who is about to sail for Australia or New Zealand as a settler is naturally anxious to know something about his future home, its climate, its employments, its inhabitants, its ways, its customs. All these are subjects of deep interest to him. You are, the, you are leaving the land of your nativity. You are going to spend the rest of your life in a new hemisphere. It would be strange indeed if you did not desire information about your new abode. Now surely, if we hope to dwell forever in that better country, even a heavenly one, we ought to seek all the knowledge we can get about it. Before we go to our eternal home, we should try to become acquainted with it. So let's just, let's just pray that uh, we can dive in here and that God can kind of give us a glimpse of what's going on. King Jesus, you're so good, so awesome, and so holy. I just want to thank you for your magnificent sacrifice, Lord, that you gave your life to us so that we, we can enter into your kingdom later on. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, you remove the walls today, you remove the blinders that are blocking us from being heavenly focused and uh, just seeing the beauty of your kingdom. And Father, thank you again just for being awesome, for your grace and your mercy. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So, uh, heaven is the final frontier. Um, what's the rest of the Star Trek? To Bully Go, where no man has gone before. Heaven is the final frontier. We all long for it, but we really don't know much about it. Um, like I said, when I was researching, I went to John Calvin. John Calvin wrote a book on every book of the Bible except Revelation. My systematic theologies that I own, they have one page. Like these things are huge. They're tomes. They're like a thousand pages. And two of them, they only dedicated like two pages to the new earth. And I was like, what? Like what am I like? So we, we really don't have a clue. And then the people who aren't biblical kind of speak up. And it's like, oh, this is what heaven's like. And, and it's like, no, that's not what it's like at all. It's definitely not what scripture says. 
but that's what we hear. We kind of hear, you know, like I hate when I think about the new, when I think about the new earth, the first thing that comes to mind is Kirk Cameron. I do not want to think about Kirk Cameron. I hate that. Um, or like we hear in my, uh, I'm taking an English class, and apparently everybody in my English class thinks that heaven is uh, just us playing harps, you know? Oh, I, I guess harps are like this, not guitar. <coughs> I mean, we actually, we allow the world and everything else to influence our picture of heaven. So I want to get away from that. And I want to make sure that we, uh, we truly understand what this place is like, what J.C. Ryle was saying. C.S. Lewis says, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when, we, when the real want for heaven is present in us, we don't recognize it. So let's dive in again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So how many of us have actually read Revelation? How many of us have understood it? Okay, Matt. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's crazy. Like, when I'm reading it, I'll read it, like, two times in the same day, and I'll be like, I don't understand what I just read. I mean, there's, you know, there's these, there's this interesting, like, fine china that is in Revelation, these bowls, and there's some scrolls, and then we got a couple beasts, we got an antichrist, we even got a freaking dragon, all right? I have an action Bible, which is the comic book version of the Bible, and Jesus is coming in with his sword and his, you know, ready to like fight, and there's this picture of this seven-headed fiery dragon, and Jesus is slaying in it, and I'm like, oh man, is that what we're going to be doing? We're going to be killing some dragons? But, um, and then leading up to Revelation 21, Christ the king, an ultimate warrior, comes riding in on his white horse and destroys his enemies. And, uh, and now we see God unveil a new heaven and new earth. I want to say first off, heavens, when we say new heaven, new earth, heavens refers to like a new outer space, a new atmosphere. It's not, you know, because heaven is coming to earth and crashing in. It's going to be heaven and earth. That's what the new earth is. Um, and then in the first verse, when it says the sea was no more, that does not mean there's not going to be any bodies of water. Uh, the sea is just sort of uh, the source of earthly evil and rebellion. And so there's, in this new heaven, new earth, there's no evil, no earthly rebellion. Um, the idea of a new earth with, you know, a new atmosphere and sky is familiar in the scriptures. Many of the Old and New Testament prophets spoke to this new heaven and new earth. Um, Isaiah 65, 17 and 19 says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the formal shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create a Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people as a joy. Now what Isaiah is saying here is not that we won't forget the old earth in our ways. What he's saying here is more of a you will be so enraptured by the magnificent beauty of heaven that the old earth won't even come to mind. Like, when I was, I, 
when I was getting married to Mandy, you know, I was enraptured by how beautiful she was and how amazing she was that no old girlfriends came to mind. She was superior beyond, and that's what it is. I mean, we're going to be so enraptured by this new heaven. It's kind of what that song, nothing else matters, you know. Second Peter 3, 12 to 13 says, looking for, I'm going to mispronounce this, hastening, is it hastening, hasting, 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 looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The new cosmic order comes in, eliminates evil, fatal infections. This is a whole new earth. Gives way to a new created order. Now, is this new earth like our current earth? And so some theologians will say, no, this is going to be a completely different earth. You know, this, this one's going to be thrown in the garbage. Others, and this is where I stand on, um, that the current earth is not going to be thrown in the garbage. It's going to be renewed. It's going to be restored, transformed. Um, I want to read this passage from this book called Heaven. Well, it's, it's from the Narnia, but I found it in the book called Heaven. Um, and this is kind of what like N.T. Wright and Tim Keller preach. And so I want to capture this idea for you because I just thought it was so cool. In the last battle, C.S. Lewis portrays the girl Lucy as she mourns the loss of Narnia, a great world created by Aslan, a beloved world that she assumed had been forever destroyed. Jewel, the unicorn, mourns too, calling his beloved Narnia the only world I've ever known. Although Lucy and her family and friends are on the threshold of Aslan's country, which is heaven, she still looks back at Narnia and feels a profound loss. But as she gets deeper into Aslan's country, she notices something totally unexpected. What happens next, I believe, reflects the biblical revelation of the new earth. <coughs> Those hills, said Lucy, the nice woody ones and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund at a moment's silence, why, they're exactly alike. And yet they're not like, said Lucy. They're different. They have more colors on them and look further away than I remembered. And they're more, more I don't know, more like the real thing, said Lord Diggory, Diggory softly. Suddenly, Farsight the eagle spread his wings, soared 30 or 40 feet up in the air, circled round and, and then alighted on the ground. Kings and queens, he cried, we have all been blind. We are, only to be, we are only beginning to see where we are. Where we are. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. But how can it be, said Peter, for Aslan told us older ones that we should never return to Narnia, and here we are. Yes, said Eustace, and we saw it all destroyed and the sun put out. And it's all so different, said Lucy. The eagle's right, said Lord Diggory. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here, just as our own, just as our own world, England, and all. It's only a shadow or a copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course it's different, as different as a real thing is from a shadow 
or as waking life is from a dream. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. That was kind of long, but if you have not read the Narnia books, please do. Really good. <coughs> um, so the current earth's not being thrown in the garbage can. It's being renewed, it's being restored, it's being cleaned up, washed up, transformed into something amazing. In his redemptive activity, God does not destroy the works of his hands, but cleanses them from sin and perfects them so that they may finally reach the goal for which he created them. Applied to the problem at hand, this principle means that the new earth to which we look forward will not be totally different from the present one, but will be a renewal and glorification on which we now live. Everybody tracking with me? I got some blank faces in the audience, so I'm like, um, so what is heaven like? I want to start here. Scripture says it starts back with the empty tomb, with Jesus, the first of the resurrection. What the Father has done through Jesus and the Spirit is the greatest gift ever. N.T. Wright says, Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future and into the present. Um, when I heard that quote, I thought immediately of comic books. Because that's such a used storyline, is people coming from the future to, you know, warn the X-Men or the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, and they're like, oh my gosh, the apocalypse has happened and there's nothing you can do about it. Sorry, and then he goes back into the future and it's like, oh crap, what do we do? And it's, it's the same story over and over again, you know? They bring no hope. What Jesus has done here is he says, guess what? Here's Revelation, here's the last battle, but it's not, oh crap, it's, oh, I've won. I've already won the battle. I hold the keys to death and hell. I am the king. Christ defeated death on the cross and he's opened the doors to the kingdom where we can be united with him in our very own resurrected bodies. Um, from studying scripture and just looking at it, this is just a glimpse, these, this list of uh, the glories of the new heaven. Resurrected mankind, new resurrected earth. God delegates reign to righteous mankind. Mankind's dominion fulfilled, redeemed stewardship of heaven. God living forever with mankind on the new earth. No more curse, greater blessing, deeper perfection, grace unending. No shame or potential for shame. Mankind can eat from the tree of life. The river of life flows from the throne. Redemption completed. Sin forever removed. Death forever removed. The serpent, Satan, and all of evil thrown into the eternal fire. Jesus reigns with mankind. God dwells face to face with man. God's glory forever manifested in all unhindered worship. God's goodness forever celebrated. Creation and mankind restored to perfection. Animals and mankind live in complete harmony. 
the ground is fertile, vegetation thrives, abundant food and water, enhanced restfulness, joy and work, complete righteousness in Christ, paradise regained and magnified, man restored to ideal place, mankind unable to sin, clothed with righteousness and the fruits, one marriage between Christ and the church, which is perfect. Purification and eternal expansion of culture. Mankind learns and creates in wisdom and purity. Mankind has unlimited free access to paradise. And God's plan for mankind and earth realized and fulfilled. So we get new bodies, which I think is pretty cool because I've always wanted to be 6'6 and be able to dunk on people. Um, and these bodies aren't rotten with sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 55 says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one of a kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another the glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, but the stars differ, differs from stars in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as have we have borne the image of, of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. When Jesus was resurrected, people didn't even recognize him. He was just tending flowers in the garden, and Mary, I think it was Mary, comes over and she's like, where have you done with Jesus? And Jesus is like, I'm right here, just doing some gardening. She didn't even recognize him. In some cases, you know, the disciples would be sitting down with the door closed and Jesus somehow gets in. I mean, I don't want to say he like transferred through the wall, but maybe he did. I don't know. But these resurrected bodies are pretty cool. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? <coughs> Another thing is, and this is the, one of the cool things that I look forward to in heaven, 
is uh, we get to hang out with animals. Um, Isaiah 11, 6 to 9 says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and then, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child should put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. So I just want to tell you guys that uh, I won't need a car in heaven because I will have a pet lion, <laughs> and I will be getting around the kingdom in style, just so you know. <coughs> And food, oh man, if you think, like I'm a chocolate fan, and you, you could probably see it. I love chocolate, but in heaven, what's chocolate? There's going to be something greater. <clears throat> the beauty of nature will be extraordinary. I was, uh, I was watching the sunset the other day, and I was like, man, this is beautiful. And then I thought of the scripture where it says creation groans in waiting. Like, the sunset, how beautiful that is, is not even half of what it's supposed to be. You know? These snow-peaked mountains. I got to stay in Seattle last summer. Oh my gosh, waking up every morning to these snow-peaked mountains, that was beautiful. But that's not even the beginning of what God is going to do with nature. How many of you have seen Avatar? Not the, uh, the Last Airbender. Don't see that movie. Avatar. Um, what's his name? James Cameron? Is that his name? The Blue People. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what they are, but the Blue People. When I saw that movie, and they're like running through the forest as blue people, and like, you know, the little flowers are lighting up, and the trees are, all the lights, and I was like, man, that is gorgeous. But heaven is going to be so much better. Heaven is going to blow you away. Verses 2 to 4. Let me uh, flip back here real quick. <clears throat> and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what life is all about, to finally be with our creator, our savior, our king, in this beautiful marriage, living in this amazing city. Now, this city is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Verses 10 through uh, 21 kind of describe it. So I'm, I'm going to read this, actually. Um, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. 
the city lies foursquare. It's linked the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod. Um, its length and width and height are also equal. It also measured its wall, and this is all by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned in every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth, thank you, bam. The seventh, anybody else? Dang, all right. The eighth, bam. <laughs> and the ninth, topaz. And the tenth, You want to do the 11th and the 12th too? <laughs> Bam. Awesome. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Um, now I was looking at the measurements that they put in here. They had these, you know, old, old time measurements. So I uh, looked at the notes and it said that the city is going to be about the size from uh, the border of Mexico to Canada. And then from, that's that this way, and then from the Appalachian Mountains to the, uh, the uh, border of California. Like, I went to New York City one time, and I thought that was huge. Like, this city is, city is a country. Um, and then the thing that blows me away is that uh, the height of the city, all right? Like, the height from the ground to the sky, I think, is like one or two miles. Is it one mile? Something like that. And it says right here in scripture that the height of the city will be 1,400 miles high. Like, I was uh, uh, hanging out with Mike last night on the uh, top of our building, and uh, we were looking over Baltimore, and it's so peaceful. It's weird how peaceful Baltimore is when you're looking above and not on the ground. Um, but we were looking at Baltimore from the top, and I, and I looked at Mike, and I was like, I'm, I'm afraid of falling, but like when we go to these buildings in heaven, like we're going to be like, we're not even close to we're, when we're on our buildings at night looking across the city. We're not even close to how tall this city is. I mean, these buildings, the buildings in heaven and the streets are going to be ridiculous. Ridiculous. So we are living in this amazing city where the king has defeated death and sin is no more, where pain and suffering are finally gone away forever. Um, right now, I'm in the time of my life. I just got married to the most amazing girl ever. I have the most uh, precious stepdaughter, smartest stepdaughter in the world. I have a baby on the way. I just got a new job. I'm graduating college, all right? Right? And, uh, but the thing for me is I still long for heaven. That's what we should all, we should all still, no matter how good or how bad, we should all long to be with the king right now. And I want to say, if you don't feel the same way, you either don't understand how amazing it's going to be to finally be with Christ in his arms, or maybe you're not Christian, or maybe you're worshiping an idol. Throw that out there. Heaven is to be what we long for for, hope for, dream for, live for. Not just because of how awesome it is, but because we are going to be face to face with Christ. 
Um, I always find verse four very comforting. You will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's just such a comforting verse to know that sin and death will no longer attack us. To know that God has done away with this all. Um, I mean, some of us here are fighting right now. We're fighting for our lives, for our loves. The effects of sin and death have crippled our bodies. Our bodies are rotten. I mean, we're all slowly moving towards death every second. Some of us are in a bout with cancer or disease. So you're in the trenches. You're in the middle of the war. Some of us have just lost someone close to us who have died from a disease or from cancer. And for some of us, the battle's not even begun yet. Our bodies, along with creation, yearn and long for a new world and a new body without death, without sickness, and without sin. What Christ has done here is he's giving us a whole new lease on life. Verses five to eight. And he, was, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And he accomplished atonement for his children and he put evil powers under his feet. When the return of the king comes, the Lord will say, it is done. The destruction of his enemies and the salvation and redemption of his saints will be accomplished. Christ is king. He is this warrior king who will rule in this new heaven and new earth. I think sometimes we don't understand the sovereignty of God. Like we don't understand how powerful God truly is. So I want you guys to understand this real quick. Christ is the ruler of all, of everything. At the cross, he put evil under his feet and at the second coming, he will finally destroy all evil and rebellion. Um, God's ultimate purpose in redemptive history is to create a people to dwell with him. Glorifying him through numerous activities and enjoying him forever. Uh, The story begins with God in eternal glory and it ends with God with his people in eternal glory. And at the center of this biblical uh, theology is the cross. I mean, the biblical story of redemption can be understood that, you know, God came in, created Adam, Adam fell, 
and he chose Israel, and Israel fell too. And then came the God-man, who was the second Adam, the son of Abraham, the fulfiller of the law. And he was faithful and obedient to God. And though the world killed him, God raised him to life, which meant death was defeated. And through that, creates a new humanity. And this new humanity, those who are in Christ, get to enjoy being with Christ forever. I really want us to think about this. To really think about this. Those who are in Christ get to enjoy him forever. But those who aren't, those who are cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Really ask yourself if you know Jesus, if Jesus has saved you. Because I can tell you right now, before I met Christ, I'm in this list. I am in this list. I'm being thrown into the eternal fire. So really ask yourself if you are saved by Christ. Because if not, I mean, Joel talked about hell uh, a couple weeks ago, about how we need to, you know, cut some of our body parts, you know, how we need to, um, what's that wrapper? Ice cube. We need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, you know? That's basically what it is. We need to understand this warning that Joel gave. We need to understand the warning that scripture gives. That, hey, this is what Christ has done. This is his beautiful inheritance he is giving to you. But you might not be part of that inheritance. You might actually be over here in this side. You might be a goat. When Christ separates the uh, sheep from the goats, you might not be a sheep. You might be a goat. I would rather be a sheep. I think sheeps are cooler than goats. Um, you also need to hear this. If, you, if we hear the gospel, those who are, love the gospel, who love Jesus, when they hear the gospel, they, they're taken back. They're like, oh my gosh, I love. Like, when I hear words like uh, the king or covenant or grace or faith, like when I hear those words, like I'm like, oh, speak it to me. Love them words. But to those who, like they hear the words and then it doesn't really affect them. Like it doesn't matter how good the song, like the preacher could be crap. The song and the worship team could be crap. The book could be crap. The song, everything could be crap. But if he's preaching the gospel, that should still soothe our souls. If it doesn't soothe your soul, there might be a problem. Hold on, I lost my place. Place, bleh. Um, now, the thing I don't want to do here is I don't want to preach fire insurance. I am actually anti-fire insurance. Um, what I'm trying to say is that some of you believe you have fire insurance, um, but the reality is is that Jesus actually takes a different policy. He is actually... Uh, not the fire insurance giver. What is that word? Fire insurance agent? There we go, agent. He's not a fire insurance agent. Um, this is a policy that you can't buy. It's a policy you can't earn. This is a policy that um, you can't look up on e-insurance for. Jesus has bought you. He saved you. 
He's redeemed you through his precious blood on the cross. And now you must believe and repent. This is a warning to the local church. To those who don't contemplate the joy of being with Christ in heaven. Like when you contemplate the joy, when you're focused on Christ and living with Christ and like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be with the king forever. Like that should humble us. That should humble us to serve. That should humble us to love. Like who cares if I get the new TV or the new PS4? Like I'm going to be with Christ. I don't need to, you know, like nothing else matters. Nothing else freaking matters. And yet we don't live like that. And I think it's because we don't dwell on heaven. We don't dwell on being in the arms of Christ. Like, and this, I think this goes, and I think our church does a good job of this. I really think we do. We love to serve, you know? But I really want to ask, like, like, we understand, like, our most crucial need here is for an older kids' ministry. Like, we understand that. But how many of us are actually helping in the kids' ministry we have now? Like, I'm convicted, you know? I'm convicted. We, when we see a need in our church, we need to come and be like, how can I serve? Because you're looking towards heaven and being like, this is so amazing, I want to serve my church. I want to do an older kids' ministry. I want to, you know, go out into the community and preach the gospel. I want to help with the free market, which, by the way, please help with the free market. I'm the one coordinating that. I need volunteers. And so don't think this is just me trying to get volunteers either. Um, If you are looking towards heaven and seeing the glory of how Christ has served you and the inheritance, I don't want to say, it's also a reward, but it's mostly an inheritance. This is something you earn, or you don't earn, sorry. This is something you get just for being part of the family. I mean, this is an inheritance you will be receiving when you arrive in his arms. This is why you should be serving, not in contempt or spite or of obligation, but because Christ loves you so much, he gave his life for you so that you could be with him forever on the new earth. I want to close with this. Um, as we leave here today, we will be tempted and will be tried and we will be caught in the rainstorms, rainstorms of life that will drag us under, that will take our mind off Christ and, oh, I need the money, or oh, I need this job. We'll be so focused on the worldly things that we'll lose the whole point of what we're here for. We must press on. C.S. Lewis said, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country. We have to make this the main object, to press on to that other country, to finally be with Christ. So often, we get caught up in the world, we get caught up in our sins, we get caught up in just these distractions that break us down. We would neglect to even talk to Christ. We neglect to read the scripture that is filled with blood. We neglect 
to serve the church, to serve the poor, to serve the needy. Don't let the troubles of life break you, the storms capture you, the sin enslave you. Death now is the only thing that stands in our way, and it's been defeated. Christ defeated death on the cross. It's now just become the next step and not the end of the road. I want to read this to you. I told, uh, I told my friends, I was like, I need to make a Narnia reference, and I need to make a Lord of the Rings reference. So, <laughs> This is from uh, The Return of the King. Pippin goes, I didn't think it would end this way. Gandalf says, end? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we will one that we all must take. The gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass, and then you see it. And Pippin says, what? Gandalf, see what? White shores and beyond, the far green country under a swift sunrise. And Pippin says, well, that isn't so bad. And Gandalf says, no, no it isn't. We must press on to this new country the end for us is only the beginning, a new chapter to the cosmic story. If you have questions, if you don't know Christ, repent, believe the gospel, come to know Jesus. And when you do that, know that for those who are in Christ, who are saved by Christ, who are loved by Christ, know that heaven with the king awaits you. Let's pray. King Jesus, you are good. You are awesome. And you are holy. I just want to thank you, Lord, for just, for everything. You know, like looking in the scriptures and seeing how beautiful this inheritance we have, Lord. How beautiful you are. That we finally get to be with you. My King, help us to press on. To press on towards the goal to be in your arms. Spirit, lead us today. Lead us out into the world to the, preach the gospel to help the poor and the needy. And Father, help us to come near to your throne of grace. Bring us closer. Draw us near to you. Help us focus our mind on heaven and finally being with you. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.